Hey, what's up? This is Scott Ian from Anthrax, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Johnny Winter. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Vivian Campbell, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is Phil Cullen from Death Hunter. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 300 of the Iron City Rocks podcast coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, John, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 300, very special milestone for us. Uh, hard to believe we've made it uh, this long. Uh, we have two very special guests joining us. We have blues guitar sensation Lance Lopez will be talking to us about a new live record on some really cool things he's got going on. And also another name, kind of new to the world of the blues, but a very big name in the world of rock. We have joining us from Def Leppard and Delta Deep, Phil Collin will be joining us in a few moments for an interview. Uh, Phil has got a great uh, blues rock album out called Delta Deep, which we're going to talk quite a bit about, uh, and also just announced a big tour with Ario Speedwagon and Tesla for 2016. So a lot of things going on in the world of Phil Collin, always a lot of things going on in the world of Phil Collin. Uh, and Lance Lopez will be joining us in just a little bit. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to play you a little sampler of the track Bang the Lid from Delta Deep, which is Phil's new band. We're going to get straight into the interview with Phil Collin. show from the band Delta Deep and obviously Def Leppard. Phil Collin, how are you doing, Phil? Wonderful, thank you. Good to be here. It's great to talk to you again. Uh, it's been a couple of years, I believe we spoke uh, several years ago when you were just starting the Man Race project. Um, let's talk about Delta Deep, though. Um, I have to say, from the, you know, from the very first track, Bang the Lid, um, really kind of caught my attention. You know, I was expecting... Yeah, kind of a rootsy blues album, but just from things I'd read and when I had a chance to actually listen to it, it kind of knocked it out of the park. It still sounded like you on guitar, but in such a different way. Do you want to talk about about how the project came together? Yeah, absolutely, and th- thank you. I mean, you know, that's, that's great. I mean, um, the, the whole thing actually, it kind of evolved. You know, we thought it actually was going to be a bit more rootsy and uh, kind of a bit more laid back but I think you know as soon as we started playing the stuff and as soon as you know Robert DeLeo and, and Forrest Robinson came involved it um, it got really muscular in its sound you know kind right. of um, 
and then when we play live, you know, that that, that actually blew me away. The first time we actually even played in a room together live, mm. um, it, it just it turned everything up. The 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 heat went up, you know, and um, Debbie's voice, you know, the, the the harder we play, the 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 better she is. So it's a it's a very interesting thing to be part of, you know, to actually to experience that on, on a stage is is a uh, is pretty amazing. But um, yeah, even with the record, you know, you you're trying to create songs, and you know, as an artist trying to write these songs, and you kind of have an idea of what a sound is going to mm. be like. But um, it it went somewhere else that we didn't really expect, and it kind of reminded me of um, I'll give you a great example. You know, when, when the Stones sure. first came out, you know, they were they were obviously mm-hmm. very blues based. They were they were pure disciples of, of blues, and uh, as were Led Zeppelin. But um, you know, the Stones done it in in one way, and Led Zeppelin went somewhere else with it. And, uh, this reminds me more like the Zeppelin. Yeah, approach. absolutely. Now, let me ask you this question: Being a British musician, you know, I think some of the greatest crossovers into the rock genre came from British players but you're quite a bit younger than a lot of those you know the John Mayalls and the Stones and things like that was was this type of music on your radar as a as a young musician or is this something you grew to like you know when you got a little older I think I grew like my cousin got me into you know he got me into American music and 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 kind of grown up music got me into you know Purple Zeppelin Hendrix Pink Floyd and all that stuff Dylan and just different things, and I, on my own, you know, just growing up in in London, you know, I'd, I'd definitely be exposed to the Beatles and the Stones, mm-hmm. the Who, and you know, the Small yeah. Faces. Uh, and I, it's something I just I just realized recently. You know, we, we just done a, a little club in in London, me and Debbie Blackwell Cook in December, and it was in Bethnal Green. And you know, I grew up in the East End of London, but a lot of the players and and singers. All came from that area, and you know, Peter Green, right. you know, who, who was very influential. Stevie Marriott, you know, even Rod Stewart was was from you know, not not that far away from there. They all had this kind of energy and a sound. I'd only just recently realised that. And I, I don't know what was in the water or, or whatever it was. Even Mick Jagger, you know, just, just being outside of London, there was something going on in England that um, that I was I was actually completely unaware of and, and until recently and there was such a uh, a, a gold mine of, of this 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 wealth of, of of great kind of expressive talent that mm. was almost blues right. based yeah that, that kind of had a uh, and I don't know why it would have come from yeah. England you know because the, the art form you know originated in America yeah, and that that is is interesting you know I think anybody who discovers the blues and I think you know at some point most rock fans kind of you know dig into the blues you know a lot through Led Zeppelin like you mentioned. But it is kind of funny how in this whole giant chunk of it came from England before it came from the U.S. And you know, and there was kind of a void in the United States. You yeah, know, we had Stevie Ray Vaughan and, and Buddy Guy and things like that. But you know, the English musicians seemed to do it so well in the '60s and the '70s. Now, yeah, I, I, it blew me away. Yeah. Um, now, on the album itself, is are you doing some vocals on like? Is that your voice we hear on Treater Like Candy? Okay. Yeah. And and um. How is it working with with kind of a different singer? Obviously, you worked with Joe for decades now, and, and with Man Ray's, you handled the, the you know the vocals. How is it working with with a new voice after all this time in your career? Um, well, Debbie's got like my favorite voice and and favorite type of voice. You know, I've been been waiting years to actually be able to 
sing and play with that voice. You know, I love Tina Turner uh, and Aretha Franklin, Shaka mm. Khan. They're my favorite mm. singers, you know. And so, so when someone comes along and does that, you know, because at first when we started like goofing around in the house acoustically and that, she, she was singing a little bit softer. But when you put the, um, the fact that me and, and, and Robert are in hard rock bands and, and Forrest, you know, apart from him playing with the Crusaders and, and being a hip hop session, right. session drummer, he really, because when I first met him years ago, he was playing with Indy RE and he came in our dressing room and said, what I really want to play is double <laughs> kick drum metal. I'm like, <laughs> what? And I mean, this is a, a, in the pocket yeah. play, you know, you kind of in the groove. I'm not him on stage with Indy RE and I'm going, oh my God, this guy's amazing. So when he brought this other thing out, it, it kind of, I don't know, it set this kind of tiger loose, you know, and then with that, then Debbie's voice just went up. It just, it just kind of, like when you see her live, it's a completely different experience. So um, I love that. So yeah, I, I was just waiting for years to be able to, you know, perform with, with that, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, we, we harmonize so well that the, the, the vocals together, me and Debbie, you know, we, we do it in a club, we do it in, radio stations do it in people's front room we just like sing and um, that's really inspiring it's great and like I said I've been waiting years to be able to, to looking for that voice yeah, really. yeah I have to admit it, it is a a guitarist it has to be somewhat intimidating to lay vocals down yourself when you've got uh, you know obviously her phenomenal voice you've got Joe on the album you've got David Coverdale um, you know to step up to the mic uh, take some courage um, how was working with David on the project? It was great. You know, I've known David for years. The first concert I ever saw was Deep mm. Purple. It was with Ian Gillen, but then, you know, I, I just loved all mm. the stuff over the years and was a fan and became a friend with David as well. So, you know, I, I initially wanted him to, because we were going to do Mistreated, which we did. Uh, initially, you know, he was going to mm. sing that, but then he, you know, he'd done the Purple album. We recorded all the deep purple songs that he was involved in and um, he said wouldn't it be great if Joe sang it I said absolutely so I, I literally asked Joe and I said this isn't a rebound yeah. thing but you know um, I, I'd wanted David to do it and we both think that you'd be amazing he said absolutely and, and he, he'd done it um, Forrest said you know he thinks that's Joe's best vocal he's ever heard in yeah. his career so you know that's, 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 that's that is a, a fantastic and to to do it on an album that featured David on another track I mean that's that's commendable it's yeah weird, it uh, is yeah. It's, you know I, I remember seeing you know just different things that came out about the album and seeing you know that it featured Joe and, and David Coverdale so when I'm listening to the album I'm like whoa that's not David singing that song but you know it works and, and, and yeah. so well Definitely. Um, how how liberating is this for you? Um, and obviously, with Man Race, it was the same way. You're able to kind of step away from the framework that is Def Leppard and, and kind of spread your wings into different areas that you know you necessarily couldn't do with the Def Leppard per se. Is that? It, it's wonderful. I think the the main thing, you know, and you know, a lot of people have said this. They go, well, "What what is different? You know, it's a guitar play. Do you play different? Do you sing different?" And it's like, no. The best example I can give is um, when we do a Def Leppard song in the studio, for example. You know, if I usually lay down the first backing vocals. Usually, I, I, I go in. It's usually the, you know, we all, all do a different part. Me, Vivian, and and uh, Sab right. and Joe. You know, we have a different role. Um, I'll lay that down. I have to get it absolutely perfect. The timing, mm -hmm. the tuning, everything about it. So it becomes less of a performance and, and more like a, 
well, it doesn't. It's not mathematical because you you still have to put the intention mm-hmm. in. You know, it's not. You know, but you then you've got to track it, double track it, thirty mm-hmm. times, and and then someone else has got to do thirty vocals on it. So you have to get it really precise, and that's very different to just performing yeah. something. Whereas you you do it first take and you're singing or you're you're playing a guitar and it's a one take and if there's a bit of a mistake and it's a bit shoddy here and there it doesn't really matter that's mm-hmm. the whole thing so that's the big difference and 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 also you know on stage you know we, we had a very weird thing happen just recently you know we was playing in in the uk we done like a sold out arena tour actually white snake were on the on mm-hmm. the same bill they, they were going on before we were and um we finished the we done the wembley arena one night the next night was sheffield arena which is twelve thousand people the next night, me and Debbie played a club yeah. in London to 150 people. I used the same guitar that I used with Def Leppard, and it didn't feel weird. I mean, th- th- because I was still doing the expressive right. thing. You know, when, when you play live, it's it's one thing. The only difference is that there's a certain amount of choreography. I don't I don't mean literal sure. choreography, but there, there's there's a certain amount. You know, when you have massive light show and video and kind screens of, and you know yeah. screens and yeah in ear monitors and all that stuff um you have to kind of uh, you you there's a set of rules that you kind mm-hmm. of have to follow and um that's that's what we did and, uh, and again the next night you know it's still a big but i'm still playing i'm still singing so we, what was strange to me is that it didn't feel that different it didn't feel that strange going from this this sold out arena to to this tiny little club is- it was um, that that was the weird part about it that it didn't feel weird. Is it weird. kind of fun? I mean, you, you at least in America. I mean, it seemed like from the moment anybody heard of Def Leppard, you were enormous. Um, is it kind of fun to be able to play some of these you know smaller clubs that if you've played them they haven't been in thirty five years? Is that intimacy nice? It, it it's lovely. I mean, you know, I I just like playing everywhere anyway. We um. Me, Debbie Blackwell Cook, and, and Forrest Robinson just played uh, Fender uh, last week. It's, it's only about you know thirty-five minutes sure. from my house, and that all my guitars, my Jackson guitars, are all made in that factory, you know, in, in, within the Fender right. thing. So we actually kind of gave back. We actually played to all the all the, all the people there, and it was just wonderful. But we, you know, over the years, I've played in some really weird places. You know, Def Leppard, we, we, three continents in a day, we played in a uh, a cave in Morocco with a sea at the bottom yeah. coming in the bottom, you know, and uh, you know a haystack. We played on on top of a haystack in in you know uh, Canada yeah. somewhere. So wherever it is, it, it kind of seems the right place. You know what I mean? It's always and you make mm-hmm. it work. You know, we uh, again just a couple of weeks ago we played a a club in Coconut Grove in in Miami. Me and, me and Deb and you know, our friends just. Uh, rushed a gig together in, in an afternoon and we went on that evening and played for an hour and it was great so I, I love that I love that part mm-hmm. about performing you know back in the days when, when you know B.B. King and even before that you know that, that, that whole circuit the Chitlin circuit and before that clubs you know Dylan all those things you know the, the New York and, and everything else you would just get up and, and play and I, I do love that about this and I think that disappeared in music, you know, it got so very corporate and, and kind of uh, too expensive to do to take chances on stuff right. like that, and it, it, it was a shame. So I, I do like doing that. I've got to say, I kind of um, 
it, it's very appealing to me. I've got yeah, to say. yeah, and it's it's got to be a kind of <clears throat> surreal to even you know I'm sure at this point in your career to look over and see a bass player who isn't Sav or you know or force on the drums and you know in that whole different arena there. Um, but yeah, you guys are yeah. doing a tour on the East Coast coming at the end of March. Um, do you play most of the album live, or do you throw in some deeper, you know, kind of fun tracks as well? We do, we we, we do, and we're, we're contemplating what we're going to put in this run. I think because we've just done this run on the West Coast, and we're actually releasing a, a live album, we're calling it West Coast mm-hmm. Live. Um, I think we should really play that set. You know, it's a bit like you know when Frampton comes alive. Right. You know, like I saw him do that in in. London opening up for Uriah Heep at a local cinema. Awesome. You know, East Ham Granada, which is, you know, about 1800 seater. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a big cinema, right. you know, that, that, that's what it, and he played that whole set, Frampton Comes Alive set, and you know, a year later this thing blew up, you know, he's, he's touring it in the States and, and all that stuff, and it, and it kind of blew up. So, I think I think that's it, because we, we actually had such a great time doing this, and, and, and people have heard, I think, Initially, we'll we'll stick to that set, and then and then kind of then probably have you know take some liberties and, and throw some stuff mm-hmm. in here and there, you know, we, which we do occasionally anyway. You know, when when there's just me and Debbie and, and that, we we'll, you know we'll throw in uh, an Al Green song or right. you know Stevie Wonder or whatever, you know, just kind of something a little bit different. Yeah. Yes, that's it's awesome. Now um, back to kind of the mothership with Def Leppard. Obviously, you have the self-titled album that just you know seems brand new still at this point. Um, yeah. The reception's been great. Um, unfortunately, I had to put the tour on hold. Do you guys have plans for 2016, or is it still kind of up in the air at this point? Oh, we've got total plans. You know, they haven't announced mm-hmm. it yet, but we, we, we're making up the dates. That we, we just rescheduled the dates that we, we kind of cancelled. Okay. Um, that'll be coming up, and then there'll be a full-blown uh, tour. Awesome. So I, I, and I've, I've, got a, I've got a feeling it's going to take us up until... Probably Christmas again, you know, or, or, or at least November. I think. I think once we we start, um, yeah, we we won't stop. Yeah, it doesn't seem that you guys get to too much of a break. Um, just going back, a, a, it, probably just a couple of years now, when you guys did the Viva Hysteria um, sets, how fun was that to go back and, and do some of the you know lesser played tracks from you know on through the night and things like that? How, how big of a kick was that for the Dead Flat Bird fans? I loved the whole process. What was really strange, it actually felt like two bands because mm. we, we actually, we, we, the first set, you know, we could be a bit raw, you know, rehearse the songs yeah. and, you know, it'd be stage fright, it'd be something off high and dry, you know, the, the, you know, all of these kind of deep cuts and stuff. And we didn't worry about it too much. Then when, when we done went off stage, I had a shower, actually. I had the fastest turnaround, like a, right. you know, 20 second shower. I've got, you know, changed clothes and, then we're in Def Leppard, you know, hysteria. So it was, it was really weird. Actually, it was a, a again a, a new experience for all of us. Yeah. Really, it was, um, you know, we got so used to, um, you know, just doing one or the other. But the fact that we'd actually then it was this big expensive show, right. where everything did matter, and you and you did have to get it precise. But um, yeah, initially, yeah, we we didn't have that. We actually, you know, it, it was so much fun. But I, I like both parts. Of it. I like the, the, the hysteria part as well. So it was, it was just great, you know. Yeah. Or did you have to go back and, and kind of relearn some of the songs, or, or do you guys kind of jam those for sound checks and things like that along the way? Oh no, we had 
we had to really do our homework. And one of the really interesting things, um, we, we were doing, um, I forget what song it was, but um, we were rehearsing and Rick just stopped playing drums. Mm. And we went, what? And he said, whoa. He said, the last time I played this song, I had two arms. Yes. And, you know, I didn't even think about sure. it. But I'm, I'm, I'm playing it now and, and all of a sudden, this doesn't make sense. So I, I, I've got to I've got to really think about what I'm going to do here because I went to play it mm. the way I used to play it when I had two arms, right. which was really weird. You yeah, know, that was a pretty deep, deep thing. You that know? Is, is, it, so after all that time, to you know, kind of have to think like that. Yeah, that is that is cool. Yeah, that is, that is excellent. Um, so we'll look forward to seeing you on the road. Um, speaking of on the road, obviously the nutritional and fitness aspect of your career is pretty well known. I mean. Do you have kind of secrets to eating that well on the road to stay in the shape that you managed to stay in? Yes, it's for most part. I think I think you know you, you can eat Doritos, you can do that, and a soda. I'll have a, I'll have a, a soda probably about once every three years because okay. I go, oh, I really fancy a sugary soda, and I, and I'll drink one. And I'll, I'll there's there's one Dorito mm-hmm. bag you can get that's vegan and. Uh, occasionally I'll go, God, I really fancy that, and, and, and I'll do it. But, you know, it's not every day. And I think that's the problem. People eat fast food, they eat junk food every day, and they don't have enough nutritional food going into their system. Mm-hmm. I think really the diet thing is, is more important than than anything else. It's like um, putting too much poison in your system and not enough mm-hmm. nutrients, you know. And, and one can counteract the other. I, and here's another really interesting little nugget. Um Apparently, if you drink alcohol, mm-hmm. you're, you, it puts a pause button on any nutrients that go into your system for five hours. Okay. So if you if you've been eating great all day and then you you have a few drinks, the body goes, oh, we got a poisonous invader. <laughs> Put everything on hold and let's deal with the poison, being the alcohol. And throw it all. So, out. Absolutely. So, you know, people think they're, they're doing some good stuff and eating really well and they go, well, I can't lose the weight and I don't feel that great. It's because of stuff like that. You know, it's, it's what, what we, it's the poisons that we eat. And when I say poisons, I, I mean, you know, sure. just not as healthy stuff as, as Absolutely. you know, the natural raw stuff out there. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's more important. That's the most important thing is actually just doing a bit of research on, on what mm-hmm. all this stuff does to your system. Now, from a fitness standpoint, I mean, on a show day, for example, do you work out prior to a show, or is the show in itself kind of a workout? No, I actually depend on what tour it is. Um, I was I was working out like just prior to going on stage. Okay. Um, I would do cardio and weight, so I'd split it up into three groups. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'd do a. Uh, you know, kickboxing or, or, or boxing drills just before I'd, I'd go on stage. I don't do that anymore, but I, I do. Uh, I do the other stuff, and sometimes I break the cardio up mm-hmm. with, with the weights, uh, and that's what I'm going to do today. Actually, it's, you know, a body part. And uh, the, the main thing is, is to not get injured. You know, so sure. you have to be really careful with that. So. Do you find? Um, yeah, I remember reading something about a couple of guitarists in the '80s who got got into bodybuilding and it affected their playing. Do you find? the type of, of work you do kind of loosens the muscles up and aids the playing or do you have to kind of be mindful of you know keeping your left hand flexible and um, no the only thing that, that I, I had to have surgery two years ago because I um, 
uh, a tendon tore off the bone in my knuckle Ouch. and um, uh, yeah and I had to have it stitched back on so I, I was out of action for like six weeks and then everything atrophied like my wrists and yeah. everything so um and that's when I learned to play slide guitar. I was just thinking the same thing. When you, when you said yeah. that about the tendon, that'd be a great time to pick up a slide. Absolutely. That's exactly what I did. I done the, got the Joe Walsh tutorial yeah. on, on YouTube. Ten minutes, and then, then you know, play slide like Joe Walsh. Well, not like he's a great mm -hmm. slide player, but um, it, it, it really did, did help out. But um, no, I, I just think you have to be careful. I think that, uh, again, you know, a lot of bodybuilders and weightlifters, they, mm -hmm. they take a lot of unnecessary supplements. Mm -hmm. I, Supplements and, and protein is great when you're performing at a high level. I think that people do it when they're not. Right. I think they take too much protein in their system when they don't need to. If you're lifting heavy, then great. Then, then your body needs it and, uh, and that. But there's a there's a lot of stuff that people put. They overburden their their body with their they tax it with, with, with all this stuff when it's not actually necessary. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a time and place for it and, and an amount. Right now, is it you're vegan? Vegan, correct? Um, yeah. Do you, particular types of protein you find more beneficial? Yeah, I, what I do, I actually, I just had one just recently. Well, about that 15 minutes ago, I had um, an acai bowl, like you know, acai fruit, like blueberries and blackberries. You know, higher antioxidant fruits. Mm. Uh, I, I get them frozen, organic, blend them up with the acai, then put some flax seeds on it granola, mm -hmm. apple, banana, and, and that's kind of breakfast. Well, this was lunch just now, but um, mm -hmm. that that helps. And I, 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 again, you know, unless you're going to be competing and you're doing really heavy lifting, mm -hmm. you don't need that much protein. We get it in, I, I get it obviously from, you know, fruit, Flax. nuts, and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that, you know, flax seeds. And, and, exactly. and sometimes if I am lifting, then I'll, I'll kind of use protein powders. You know, mm -hmm. as well, which which really help as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We look forward to seeing you on the East Coast, uh, and hopefully, we'll see you rolling around with Def Leppard here in the summertime, maybe. Sounds right. great. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. All right. Take care. Cheers. Phil Collin of Delta Deep and also Def Leppard, obviously. Uh, the Delta Deep tour dates, the uh, Sugar Shack tour they're doing on the East Coast starts March 28th. They're going to be doing Washington, D.C. They're going to be hitting Philadelphia, Ashbury Park, New Jersey, Northampton, Massachusetts, New York City, Boston, Pauling, New York, and Bay Shore, New York. Uh, and then in the summer, they're doing a uh, the Riverbend Festival in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So a lot of cool chances to see a really fantastic album. I have to admit, though, uh, was a little skeptical when I'd heard, uh, you know, 
Here's a you know a guy known for doing very melodic hard rock. He's going to be doing a uh, blues album, but uh, really really cool album. So if you're a fan of all of blues rock, uh, it's worth checking out. David Coverdale, Joe Elliott doing some songs on there as well as the rest of the band. Uh, just really a, a can't miss with Debbie and Robert Forrest and uh, Phil. So check that out. And again, Def Leppard is going to be hitting the road in full summer U.S. fashion. Uh, starting in May with Aria Speedwagon and Tesla. So plenty of chances to see them, including July 8th at the first Niagara Pavilion in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So we're going to turn our attention now to a great uh, guitar, blues guitarist named Lance Lopez. He's got a great live album out called Live in NYC. It was recorded at BB King's. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about that and some other things he's got going on. But let's get into a track called Come Back Home from the Live in NYC album, which is available now. Then we'll talk to Lance. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show uh, blues guitarist Lance Lopez. How you doing, Lance? I'm very well, John. Thanks for calling. My pleasure. My pleasure. Just had an opportunity to listen to the live in NYC album. Um, big blues fan uh, most of my life, and uh, your playing instantly caught my eye, actually, when I first caught a little clips of it on YouTube. Is this the 2014 show that we see on YouTube that's on the record? Uh, yes, it is. It absolutely is. So let's yeah, we um, that was uh, yeah. It, it, it's become quite popular. Um, we had uh, quite a couple of people there um, that that kind of made some uh, you know the, the day and age of YouTube. They kind of made their own uh, videos, but they mm-hmm. yeah, they quite popular. Yeah, it, it it was interesting. I I know I had kind of caught wind of your name, and I put it on. I was like, need to talk to this guy. You know, even before he started singing. <laughs> You know, I just right. I just heard that kind of same fire that you hear out of you know some special guitar players. But let's let's back up early in your career. Your music, um, you know, I think critically was kind of um, compared a little bit to Hendrix, um, and, and your playing kind of shifted over time to a more Texas style uh, of blues. Was that intentional, or is that just something that kind of evolved? Well, um, you know, that was kind of a it's interesting. It's interesting as you would ask me that because um, really, what it was was I, you know, my younger years. <clears throat> I really had um, Jimi Hendrix was, of course, a huge hero for me, and, and that style of music. And um, basically, what happened was um, I was kind of I was evolving out of that, and it wasn't that. I, and it's not that I'll ever come away from that because that style of music was is very much a part of who I was but um, I was kind of shifting out of doing something different and then I hooked up with a label 
and um, Grooveyard Records. Mm -hmm. And Grooveyard Records really wanted that sound. So um, it was started off to be one album became another album, and uh, and they they you know had their idea of you know well we want this sound so it was kind of that kind of thing it, and uh, and in midway through I did about three albums with three or four records with Grooveyard and um, which is a small label in, up in upstate New York and. Um, what uh, the last record you could really hear me going okay I, I really want to do this and there were some things where it was like well you know I, I want to try to add keyboards or I want to do this or I want right. to try to do something like this or that and it was kind of met with no we need you just you know doing more of the Robin Trower Jimi Hendrix thing so it was there There was a lot of that you know and uh, so it, it you know I'd always played you know, kind of what I play now. It just, um, just for that label. That's really kind of how it was was being introduced, which eventually led in time for me to kind of uh, go do something different, go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So, um, growing up, I mean, aside from Hendrix, obviously, um, mm -hmm. who were the guys that you you kind of gravitated towards? Oh man! Uh, um, well, you know, I grew up uh, in the in, you know as a kid uh, in the '80s, and um, that's you know that was the era of you know all the hair metal and right. all the you know shredder guitar and all of that kind of world. And I was even even then, and you know, I was I was drawn to more bluesy guitar players. And the thing was that. Um, all of a bunch of kids in my neighborhood played guitar and it was uh, you know it was long before the internet smartphones right. <laughs> you know Absolutely. so like and video games were just kind of starting you know the, to get get there you know but um, so you know that was kind of that was a, it was a cool time because you know you did have all that and it became like a big hobby for kids you know the, the kind of the shredder thing but I always was more into the bluesier guys before I really kind of figured out that um, blues, you know, blues was the thing. And, and um, you know, I, I, I loved um, Leslie West, you know, uh, uh, Jimmy Page, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, guys, I was kind of, I was, I was, I was, I was a decade behind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like behind everybody else where they were, you know, like I said, into all the hair metal and all those things. And, and so, I mean, I remember hearing Jimi Hendrix for the first time in, in the mid eighties and I thought it was a brand new album. Yeah. You know, I heard, are you experienced? And I thought, wow, this is a, this is great. And they were, everybody was laughing. They were like, no, he's actually, uh, um, he actually no longer with passed away for a long time you know yeah. and it really was it was like oh my god it was like this bittersweet thing so that set the bar for me so I would I, you know I had this this special feeling that when I heard Jimi Hendrix it was just like this otherworldly kind of thing and so I would go see other guitar players and it would like set the bar for me you know and I would go see other guitar players and and go yeah but I still am not getting that feeling and that's how I would learn how to play I would go see I saw ACDC many times as mm -hmm. a kid because they they had a lot of that really heavy hard blues rock absolutely 
uh, style, you know, and so um, that's where I would, uh, you know, I would go there and um, um, I would, uh, you know, I would I would have that um, that kind of, uh, you know, I would, I would go to the concert and, and have that kind of, you know, I need to I need to learn right now. That's that's the way I always had that kind of idea. So that's how I would learn how to play guitar. I'd go watch these guys play. And then rush home and try to emulate, you know, exactly. um, the style. And so, and it, and you know, it was it was like I said, the more blues based players like Angus Young and Leslie West and, and Chippy Page and, and guys like that. Um, mm-hmm. I remember seeing Alvin Lee as a kid. You know, it was mm-hmm. like on on the on the footage from Woodstock. It's just like, oh my gosh, you know. And then around when we moved to Texas. Um, uh, two weeks after moving to Texas, I think I was 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, saw Stevie Ray Vaughan and B.B. King, and that's what really kind of sealed the deal. That's when I said, okay, um, <laughs> it's like the blues is where I need to be playing. And so I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan live, and that kind of, that kind of, you know, did it. And then the next weekend, it was funny because I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan and B.B. King, and then the, and then the uh, weekend after that, I saw Foghat and John Mayall, like a British blues package. So it was like, wow. a double, Whammy of blues. That's that's now. That's interesting. You mentioned Stevie Ray Vaughan because I mean, growing up in the '80s myself, he was really the only artist that I listened to in the '80s who was I would consider a blues artist. You know, other than Billy Gibbons, you know, Mm -hmm. another Texas guy. But you know, a lot of the, the the big '70s kind of blues guys. You know, Johnny Winter wasn't. You know, on my radar and things like that. So Stevie Ray, in a lot of ways, was the blues. Was it even more so in living in Texas, or is you know were they more of a national phenomenon than I? Absolutely. Well, no, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned Billy and Johnny because those, I, you know, I, how could I forget those guys? I mean, you know, um, here in the area where where I grew up in, because you know, Louisiana, and I was in some Shreveport's like right on the Texas line and then sure. all through East Texas over to Dallas. It's like that was, you know, Eliminator was just, it was massive for us. I mean, it was, you, you couldn't go anywhere without, I mean, and still to this day in this area, I mean, mm-hmm. Eliminator is still, you know, just embedded into us. And that was, I mean, from the very beginning, I mean, Billy was, you know, that was embedded in, you know, years later, um, at, you know, as a, as a teenager, you know, I ended up meeting Billy and Billy, became, we became very close. I mean, he became a, a very good friend of mine and Johnny Winter also, you know, I, I had, uh, I think my older sister knew that when I was, I was getting into, you know, being drawn towards more blues people. She said, you need to go listen to Johnny Winter. And it, absolutely. So I knew about those guys before I saw Stevie Ray. You know, I'd seen Johnny and Billy, mm-hmm. you know, listen to Johnny. You know, of course, there's no way you get away from ZZ Top around the MTV era. era absolutely. 80s. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I didn't know, you know, when we went to see Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, oh, he was on the bill with B.B. King. So I actually had seen, and it's funny. Oddly enough, my dad and I used to sit and watch Sanford and Son. Oh, <laughs> love that show. When I was little, and that's my, that was my introduction to BB King was on Sanford and Son. And my dad was like, "Man, that's BB King. He's the greatest blues guitar player in the world." So that was actually my very first introduction to blues guitar was watching Sanford and Son and seeing BB King. 
you know, you know, strictly blues guitar. So um, when we moved to Dallas, I saw that, oh, man, B.B. King's coming. And so just by happenstance, you know, I really didn't know much about Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, you know, at all. And, and so I'd seen some pictures here and there of Stevie and, you know, I thought he was more like uh, some of the other um, more Texas kind of country singer-songwriter people like, you know, because they all had three names. You had Ray Wiley yeah. Hubbard, Gary Jeff Walker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all, those, all the guys that we have here in Texas that are kind of those kind of guys that are kind of the, part of the Willie Nelson camp down there around Austin. So I thought Stevie Ray was more like one of those guys. I didn't know he was like a, a you know, powerhouse guitar player. So until I saw him live and uh, you know yeah I mean it was it was it was incredible you know and um, you know and so many and, and, and then later on you know as I began to you know start playing professionally and playing out live I mean I was you know lived in this same neighborhood knew his family knew his mother very well mm -hmm. uh, was very close to her before she passed and of course you know Jimmy I mean Jimmy and I are getting ready to, we're playing a show together in May um, you know, and then all in his band and all his friends and, 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 you know, very close friends, circle of friends. So, and everybody had always told me, they said, man, it is just such, it's just, it, it just made it even more tragic because they were like, man, Stevie would have loved you. You guys would have been buddies, you know, and they just, and they, and, you know, the people just stop that I'm, that we like when I'm hanging with some friends, you know, mutual friends, they'll just stop and say that, you know, and it's been from different people. It just makes it real sad, you know, yeah. it's just like, man, this is, they're just, they're just like, man, we, it's just, it's, you guys would have been, oh, and that's, you know, because that's how me and Johnny Winter were too. You know, Johnny was, uh, I, I was really fortunate to be uh, close to Johnny and be touring with him there before last, you know, and it's, same thing with Billy today, you know, and a lot of things that draws us to Johnny and I, and then uh, is the blues, and is, 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 um, you know, a uh, scholar mentality that, you know, the, the history of it, and all of the, the old blues singers and whole kind of world is a lot of what me and Johnny, you know, yeah. and then, you know, um, it was, uh, you know, we, we have, I have seen my mother's side that was on Beaumont and Orange and put that down around from where, uh, Johnny, oh, that really, you know, connection there too. You know, we talk a lot about Beaumont and, and Paul's Louisiana and, you know, we would talk about that kind of thing where he grew up as a child. He and Edgar grew up. So that was, yeah. so yeah, I mean, a lot of the same thing with Billy. So a lot of the question, I mean, we're just, you know, we're from the same place on, you know, these, you know, guitar heroes, it's just to, we're from the same, you know, kind of the same yeah. thing. It, so, yeah, it always, it's uh, definitely a regional deal kind of situation. All the, you know, the blues era of, of guitar is all a bit of a sense of community, because you look at, like, you know, if you watch the Clapton Crossroads Festival, you know, you, you get that same kind of guys. You get the Jimmy Vaughn and Robert Craig, and those guys that seem to, you know, always kind of end playing together it seems to be a genuine kinship there you know and it right um, absolutely if, if I absolutely. could the supersonic blues machine how did that kind of come together uh, well we um I basically went to um recording and I had been touring in Europe uh in 2008 2000 
for 13. And so around 10, things were really starting to happen very well over there. And uh, we released an album called Salvation from Sundown. And very sizable tour, probably one of the biggest of my career. And uh, I was playing some very large shows. In that tour, people all over Europe kept telling me, they said, you've got to hook up with this guy named Fabrizio Grassi. He's from Lee. He's a bass player. He's a killer producer. He's worked albums. He's, he did a lot of Joe Bonamassa's early records. Everybody, it just multiple places in different countries and different parts of kept telling me that it just was weird for Fabrizio's name. And so I got back, and you know, he kind of started to slow up a bit, and, I got back to Texas, and, and I said, man, I want to start working on a new record. So I looked for retail up, and um, I reached out to him online and, um, you know, sent him a few things and sent him some stuff from the last album and, and you know, what, what I, you know, told him what's been going on, what I've been doing. And we, he found out that we did have a lot of mutual friends, as we did, in Europe. And... Um, so he said, man, next time you're in L.A., come by the studio, let's sit down, let's talk. So, and I sent him some ideas of some songs I'd been working on. And so when I got to Los Angeles, I finally had some gigs in Los Angeles. So I, you know, rang him up and said, man, I'm going to be in Los Angeles, you know. He said, well, great, we'll come by. So I got to the studio, what was supposed to be just to sit down, you know, for an hour, turned in like a, a three-day recording session. So we ended up over there, like, Knock you know, out. recording all these songs were like we walked away with all this amazing stuff we're just going wow man you know we were just blown away by each other once we got in there it was just like this just unbelievable chemistry I mean it was just amazing and we started you know looking at the songs and listening and we're like hey well let's try this and then next thing you know we were in the studio and then we were putting it together and then we came away with like three or four songs that were just amazing and so um I went back to, to Texas, and and uh, and so Gilly um, Gibbons called Fabrizio a couple of days later and said, um, you know, he had some things he wanted to work on with Fabrizio, and you know, Fabrizio had worked some on that last uh, ZZ Top record, La Futura, and he'd done a lot of stuff mm -hmm. with Billy and ZZ Top, and so um, Billy called Fabrizio and said, you know, I, I want to, you know, I got some stuff to work on, and by the way, what have you been up to, and he, uh, he said, well, man, it just, it's funny you ask me because you know, I just had a guy from your, you know, your part of the, your neck of the woods, uh, Lance Lopez was here, and, and Billy was like, what? He goes, man, I've known Lance since he was a kid. You know, I, he grew up around me and, and us, and, and then, you know, play, as open shows for ZZ Top, played with us, uh, tour with us, all that, you know. And Rizzo, mm -hmm. I mean, I told him that I, you know, mentioned that I knew Billy and I knew that he worked with Billy and been working with Billy, but uh, and that that was the thing when Billy called for Brazil and he said, Man, I've been here with Lance and Billy just he just was super excited and then he Billy was the one that told for Brazil, he said, You guys need to form a band. And if it's one thing you know about as I know about Billy Gibbons, Billy the thing with mine and Billy's relationship, Billy is always he's like super, super imaginative and super, super creative. So he's like always yes. like he's always coming up with these you know, oh, you need to have this song or this band or this look or this thing. And he creates all those looks, like for you know, all those different bands, like his solo thing and for the moving sidewalks and for ZZ. I mean, that's all Billy coming up with that, all that scenery and that, you know, all the videos, all that stuff. So he's super, super creative and super imaginative. So 
he, uh, you know, he went to Fabrizio and said, you and Lance need to absolutely form a band and with a band name and he should, you know, do this and that. So, um, you know, and that's, that, that was really how it started. And then Fabrizio took the recordings. He thought, well, we need a drummer. So he took the recordings that we had worked on over to, um, Kenny Aronoff, um, mm-hmm. you know, who, my God, I mean, I grew up, you know, I, again, from that era, from that MTV era, uh, in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, seeing, uh, uh Aronoff yeah. with Mellencamp. I mean, it was just like, yeah. and, and growing up on, you know, Ain't That America. I mean, you know, and hearing those powerful drums on Ain't That America with, with Mellencamp was like, you know, that was one of my childhood songs, you know, and, uh, and, and it just still, it just, it, it, it's just, it's so surreal that, you know, cause I was a huge Mellencamp fan when I was a kid and, uh, in the eighties and it's, I mean, still am today, but, um, you know, see Kenny so much on MTV, you know, with, with Mellencamp and, uh, right. and listen to all those records. And so, um, you know, and then you know everybody else he's played with, but that just in particular, you know, when we were talking about that earlier about you know the Eliminator stuff and the MTV era and growing up. I mean, that was like the, with, with Kenny, that's what's burned into my mind, you know, as a kid. And right. so, um, you know, so yeah, so then you know, I, I you know, I didn't think any, you know, that Fabrizio would, would go take the recordings to Aaron Off, and Aaron Off was completely in. He heard the recordings and was like, he was the one that was like, man, I have to play with you guys. So, um, you know, and Kenny, you know, to me is, is one of the greatest, if not the greatest drummer in the world. I mean, I just, you know, he's unbelievable. And, and, uh, so yeah, and then that was the thing. And so originally, <clears throat> you know, we, uh, Billy was going to be in the band all the time. I mean, Billy, when he said that, you know, we put a band together, that was the first song we did was running whiskey. And, uh, it was written by, Billy and uh, Tal Wilkinfeld, who uh, was a young lady that was playing bass with Jeff Beck for a while. And uh, she uh, and Billy started writing the song, and then Fabrizio stepped in, and they, those three kind of finished it. And that was, the, uh, that was the first song we recorded. So then when we did that, we thought, first Billy was going to be in the band. It was going to be us three and Billy, kind of front in the band. And then we were like, well... And then, you know, with ZZ Top and Billy's solo and everything else, he was like, fuck time, but I, I want to do, I want to be the first guy to do the song. And, and then when we did that, we thought, man, we need to have friends and family, just like Billy, because Billy is friends and family with us. I mean, I've known Billy since I was 15 years old. Fab's known him a long, long time. And Kenny's done a lot of studio work with him, too. So it was like, we need to have people like that that are close to us, that want to see us do well that are you know great guitarists that have been longtime friends and so that that became the next concept of it and we started uh, we we sat down and we saw the rock and roll circus by the stones we, we watched that again we thought man remember when everybody would get together and have these big jams right. like this and the rock and roll circus and all of these other different things so we um we uh, we kind of took on that mentality, and then you know the, the next person that came in was Warren Haynes, you know, another dear friend of ours, and Warren came in, and then you know just more friends started showing up, and then we thought, man, this is the way we want to do it. We don't want to make it all about us. We want to have our 
you know, everybody that we know and love that, that are our good friends that, that we also, you know, admire, wanted them to be a part of it too. And so that that's kind of how it just started, you know, to take off from there. You know, we had Billy, then we had Warren Haynes, and we had Robin Ford, who's a huge hero yeah. of mine. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I had other close friends, Chris Duarte and Eric Gales, who I grew up around. I mean, I grew up with those guys. I mean, uh, Chris, also, you know, being from Austin, and Gales and I grew up together. We've known each other since we were also, since we were kids. And uh, so it, it kind of took on that. And then Walter Trout, I mean, we didn't even know if Walter was going to survive to uh, a period, I mean, to do anything. <laughs> so, I mean, we, it was like we were really in, it, it's been just a miraculous situation in Walter's life because he was very ill. So, um, Fabrizio was going to eventually do an album uh, uh, again, do a, a, a total record on Walter Trout. He became ill and had to have a liver transplant. It was just this big thing. We didn't even know if he was going to make it. And so when he did finally pull through, he reached out to Fabrizio and said, "Man, I'm ready to do this. Let's go." We were just blown away by that. So it makes it more uh, special. You know, it, it's been uh, a lot of the guys I knew. You know, like I said, they were friends and family. A lot of guys. This is kind of us bringing. It. Well, guys, I just man, I'm huge fans of. I want them to have, be a part of this. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's, it, and I feel it's the best record I've ever done. You know, I feel like it's the best band I've ever been in, as far as other musicians. Not just not, and you're not just with the guests, but just with Fabrizio and Kenny Aronoff. I mean, it's just it's the best band I've ever been a part of, musicianship wise. Right. Now that album comes out next week, correct? Right, awesome. February 26th. Okay, and when when is the the street date for the live in New York City, or is that available now? Uh, yeah, it's available. I believe it's on Amazon. It's it's ready for da- uh, download now, um, uh, minus a couple of tracks. I, I I don't think they put a couple of tracks on. I think you have to get the full album and get a couple of tracks. I think it's two okay. or three tracks maybe. Uh, but the street date on it is okay. April 15th. So you got a busy couple of weeks coming up with that. Now, are you going to be hitting the road for? Any extended period of time, or is that still kind of up in the air? I've got, um, I've got, um, in, in, in a couple of weeks here, uh, we're going to start going out and kind of, you know, promoting the release of the live in, in uh, NYC album and, uh, with my trio, uh, with my solo band, and we're going, um, uh, we're going to be in Southern California March 12th, 13th, and 14th, and, uh, in Pasadena, Tarzana, and the Long Beach area. We'll be all in, in Southern California, and we're going to work our way back through West Texas, through Lubbock, and then uh, a couple suburbs in between Dallas and Fort Worth, and then ending up um, at South by Southwest Film Festival, uh, which we believe is going to be the first supersonic blues performance, uh, blues machine performance, and it's going to be at the uh, the world premiere of the Sidemen uh, Long Road to Glory film, which I just did the soundtrack, which Fabrizio and I just did the soundtrack for, and I'm also featured in the oh, film. Okay. So they're they're doing a world premiere. Yeah, they're doing a world premiere at the South by South Film Festival March 19th, and it's a uh, it's a film about uh, Muddy Wa- uh, Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf's uh, side men, uh, Willie Big Eyes Smith, Pine Top Perkins, and the guitarist Hubert Sumlin, who played for Helen okay. Wolf. So and it's just it's this bittersweet kind of documentary that went around and followed those three guys and then it's got it features everybody from Derek Trucks, Lauren Haynes and Greg Allman and Ronnie Wood and 
Kenny Wayne Shepherd and Joe Bonamassa and I mean Bonnie Raitt. I mean it's just it's a who's who that are talking about you know the impact that these side men had on the blues and on and on pop some music and so um, and I'm featured in it and then I did all the soundtrack work. We just finished all the soundtrack work for it in Los Angeles and I recorded the uh, the title theme song. Awesome. The now will that will that uh, get a theatrical release in theaters or, or do you know how that's going to be distributed? I, d- I don't know if it's if there's going to be a theatrical release just yet. I do know there's 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 uh, it's it, it's basically in the film festival okay. stage right now. So we're yeah, and it's and then we're doing the premiere at uh it's South by Southwest, and I do know there's several more festivals, um, film festivals. It's included in, and I, and I do know that we'll also be performing along with the showing of the movie. Cool. Well, Lance, I want to thank you so much for taking up uh, a nice chunk of your morning to talk to us, and I, I wish you the best on the live in NYC and the Supersonic Blues Machine and, and the movie. Sounds like you. Thank you so much for calling. I, I look forward to talking to you right. again. It's been my thank pleasure. You so thank much. you. And a big thanks to Lance Lopez. Uh, his website, Lance Lopez. That's L A N C E L O P E Z T X dot com. Uh, you can also find his Facebook page is Lance Lopez Band. Uh, Phil Collin, uh, you can check out the Delta Deep website, which is deltadeepblues.com. Obviously, defleopard.com. If you can't find Def Leppard on the internet, then I'm surprised you found us. Uh, check that out. You've got all the tour dates going on there. Uh, you can find us at ironcityrocks.com. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram forward slash ironcityrocks. Uh, you can find that ironcityrocks at gmail.com. If you'd like to send us any comments, criticisms, praise, worship, or uh, anything you'd like to, to say, if you've got a band that you're interested in having on the show, um, or you know somebody you'd like to hear, or your band on the show, let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from everyone. So I want to thank you for sitting through the first 300 episodes. I'm not sure if anybody's listened to all 300 of them. Uh, if you did, our hat's off to you. We hope the next 300 are just as memorable. Uh, and I know we'll be hitting hitting it with quite a bang with some of the upcoming episodes. You'll want to stay tuned for that. So thank you again and take care.